the heart. To receive the message of God this morning, we'll be in Acts chapter 2. We're in a series of messages on what is real church. I believed and believe and felt impressed by the Holy Spirit of God in light of the state of churches in the world today that it be necessary to preach this series of messages to remind us that we need to keep a biblical focus on what church is. There's a lot of churches and we've seen how the world has infiltrated our churches and they've brought worldliness in at such a high level that it looks like you're going to a rock and roll concert now. And that is definitely not in the scripture. I was spending some time with the teen boys uh, this morning on doing a devotion. And I was actually having them work with me uh, as we learnt and studied the Bible there in Ephesians 4 about is there commands given or are there sins I need to avoid? And having them spot these things in the Bible and here's why. As a Christian, we're followers of Jesus. We're followers of the way. And that means the Bible is our roadmap. It is our go-by. It teaches us the difference between holy and profane. And on the subject of the church, the Bible teaches us what should be in our churches and how they should be operating. There should be no debate on it, on who's to be pastoring and who's to be preaching and, and what songs we sing. The Bible's very specific on it. And if someone has told you you've sat under a preacher who says it's not specific, they've been messed up in a philosophy and they've got a pantheistic view on music and a polyistic view on God. And that's definitely uh, some philosophies that the Antichrist will use to bring his church in on the scene. We don't want to be a part of that mess. We don't want to sit in Laodicean uh, apostasy. We want to be more Philadelphian in our approach, uh, even when it's not popular. And just because culture has slid uh, does not mean that the church of God, which is the people that are born again, should slide with it. We should be an influence to this world. I didn't mean to get started like that, but you got that free this morning. So let's get into the Bible, Acts chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 37. And he says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, this is on the heels uh, of the day of Pentecost, and there was some preaching. And what brought that on was praying, and we'll look at that in Acts chapter 1, about verse 14. He says, They continued uh, with one accord in prayer and supplication. And then the day of Pentecost, while they were gathered together, they were assembled, uh, the Holy Spirit of God come down and anointed them, and Peter began to preach. Not parade naked around a golden calf uh, and not have a laser light show, but preach the Word of God. And at the end of the preaching, we see that these people said, what shall we do? They were under conviction. And so Peter replies, then Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. They followed the Lord in believers' baptism. You say, but he wasn't preaching the gospel. Look in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No reason to get uh, messed up in a false doctrine here in Acts chapter 2. He's preaching Jesus. And he says, repent. Then we get into the meat of here where I will base the message from today. He says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people get saved. And look what he begins to describe here in this first church. And they continued steadfastly. Now, I'll need you to take note of that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you be meditating on those two words. Continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the Apostles, yeah, amen, just the apostles. And then he says, And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, note the word, continuing, different than continued, so now we're going into some things that it was built upon, steadfast on, to now this is what we're going to execute. Uh, you could, could have uh, titled this a dynamic church, a church on the move, daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come now. Lord, we understand that uh, uh, preaching is not to be done in the flesh. And so I'm asking that I step aside for a few moments and let the Holy Spirit speak through me. Oh Lord, my spirit is stirred this morning because of how the Bible is so clear of what our churches should be made up of. But yet, there seems to be so much confusion today. And Lord, there's confusion because people are not in the book. Lord, uh, help us today. Let the Holy Spirit guide us. And if there be any that is lost, I would like to see them to say, Sirs, what must we do? And I would say that they need to repent, receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now the Bible is clear that the church, it's not a building, even though we're meeting in a building, we call it church. But it is a body of saved, baptized believers who have been called out to be separate from the world. The world should have no influence 
on the church. The church should be influencing the world. We've been called out of the world. Uh, if you want to get technical, you would be uh, into the word ecclesia. I don't like using Greek and Hebrew. I don't know a whole lot about it. I got enough sense because of the schooling I've had to know that this is ecclesia. It means called out, called out assembly. That's what it means. That's why he called the nation of Israel the church in the wilderness. Why? Because he called them out of Egypt. Egypt being the type of the world. Called them away from Pharaoh type of Satan out into the wilderness to take them into Canaan's land which is the Christian life by the way that's what it's a type of uh, because when we get to heaven our fighting our battles are over when they got into Canaan's land the fighting just started that's the Christian life and we can be victorious in the Christian life if we follow the Lord uh, and stop compromising with the enemy so the church was started by Jesus who purchased his own blood. That was the first message called, What is Real Church? Since the resurrection of Christ, in Christ who is now seated on the right hand of the Father, Hebrews, we the church are to continue the ministry that Christ started. Of course, that was our second message on the purpose of the church. We have been given the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who is to guide us into all truth. We then learned about God's funding for the church. It's what we preached on last week, wasn't it? God's funding for the church. How is God going to fund the church and His ministry? And we learned this from the Word of God, not my opinion, not how I feel about it, not what I've dreamed up in the office back there, but what God said to do. The Lord has given us the legislation. He's given us the rule book. And we took our text out of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 where he says, uh, on the first day of the week, let every one of you, that's who's to be included, that whoever's in the body of Christ and in that local assembly, it's your responsibility. God's going to use your stuff to further his ministry. And so you will not understand the church until you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And you won't get the Holy Spirit of God until you become born again. The Bible's clear on that, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then it takes the Holy Spirit to understand the church. A lot of people don't understand the church today because they're lost. The spirit of the world and the spirit of iniquity will not help you understand the church. And this is why the world thinks that church is not essential. But to you and I, if our church is to make it in these last days, we're in the last days. If we're going to make it, if we're going to stand strong, if we're going to endure hardness as good soldiers, we must execute and stand firmly on these things we have found in this text, which I'm getting ready to give them to you. Great churches are built on majoring on the fundamentals. And I'm getting ready to give you the fundamentals of church. And just because you're running some big numbers, it don't mean you've got a great church. I was thinking about this this week. There's two types of growth. There's the growth that you get like a child does when they're born and they begin to 
drink the sincere milk and they're just grown so quick. Cherianne has grown so quickly. Don't you get all them sugars off of her. You save some for me. <laughs> That's what I was looking at while I was playing the piano, making sure nobody getting all pawpaw sh- sugars. <laughs> Where was I? I was too worried about pawpaw sugars. <laughs> Not worried enough about uh, uh, preaching the message. Yeah, two types of growth. <laughs> That's what sparked that. So you got growth like a child. But have you ever seen roadkill in the summer? Swells up real quick, don't it? Well, that's growth too, but it's not the right kind of growth. And so big numbers don't mean a great church. Now, I'm not throw that up in there because we don't have great numbers, you know. Some people throw that stuff around. Well, you're against big churches because you got a little church. And the people that's in little churches, you know, they're, they're against big churches. Big churches against little church. That's not, you know what? We got what God wants us to have. If we do our job and do the part that God wants us to do, as the Bible says here, the Lord added. God will add them. God will bring them in. So there's two types of growth. Here in our text, we see that God blesses this church in a mighty way. And it's because they were majoring on some fundamental principles. As I pointed out earlier, there in verse 42, he said they continued steadfastly. That word steadfastly means they were not going to move off of some of these principles, and I believe they're before there. I actually have six principles today that we need to make sure that we're executing here at Tree of Life Baptist Church if we expect God to bless us and to add to us. The first thing that I would like to bring to our attention that they were steadfast in, they continued in, they were going to endure through the tough times, and they're going to make sure that they did it, was prayer. Verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, you say, why'd you put it first? I'll tell you why. Go back to chapter 1, as I showed you earlier. That's what sparks this off, was prayer. There's power in prayer. I believe that we don't touch the surface on the subject of prayer and how much power really is involved. The church prayed as a group often, verse 14 in chapter 1. That's why I like our Wednesday night service. The whole purpose of the Wednesday night service is prayer. That's the main focus. Yes, I do some teaching, but if, we, if we're putting a bind on time, then it's prayer that is essential, and that's why we do it first. We take prayer requests, and then I call on the men to do some praying. You say, well, the ladies want to pray. I'm getting ready to change that as we grow a little more. I will separate us into groups, men and women, so the ladies can do some praying on Wednesday night also. You say, why? Because the ladies are mentioned in this text, chapter 1, verse 14. They were praying also. 
The whole church was praying. They were steadfast on this thing called prayer. And it reminds me of John chapter 15, verse 5. The Lord says, you need to abide in me and I in you. For without me, you can do nothing. Prayer is how we connect with the Holy Spirit of God. If you got Him living down inside of you, if you've been born again, you say, how do I connect with the Holy Spirit? Through prayer. The Word of God, prayer. You say, can you prove that to me? Yes. Turn to chapter 4. Chapter 4 and about verse 31. And when they had prayed... They're still all praying together in corporate prayer. There's much to be said about private prayer, personal prayer. And we need that. Christ prayed often on a private nature, personal nature. But he also prayed often as a group. And he commands the church. And that is one of the things this church was noted for as prayer meeting time. And he says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. There's your scripture. There's something to this thing called prayer, and it needs to be in our churches. Our services need to start with prayer. And as I uh, teach, every teacher that teaches in this church, you start your class with prayer, and you end your class with prayer. Prayer is essential. You see... We need to connect with the Holy Spirit of God through prayer because the Holy Spirit has the power to convict the sinner. He has the power to convert the sinner. And He has the power to constrain the saints. You see, we could have just preached on that. But if the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of you, He's going to constrain you. He's going to move you. He doesn't mean He's stopping you, although it can mean that from going off into sin, but he's going to try to move you. I try to keep myself, and I challenge you and exhort you to keep yourself in that mode of prayer to allow the Holy Spirit to channel you throughout the day. Sometimes the Lord might tell you, you need to go here, you need to do this, and, and you don't need to put that off. You need to obey the Holy Spirit of God. Prayer, as in this instance, makes the church go, obeying the Great Commission, go. And we find them doing that, going. It makes it glow. It was a glowing church. It was a happy church. It was a praising church. But it made it grow. Did you see that? We could have just preached on that. But we're not. It's merely some subpoints to the main point. The principle of prayer. Our churches need to have prayer. I firmly believe in the Wednesday evening service. It's that prayer service. You say, you said that once already. And I'm going to say it again. Because it's important. You say, well, they didn't do that in the early church. That come around somewhere in the 1800s. You want to know why it come around in the 1800s? Around the time of D.L. Moody? Because they knew they needed more prayer. In the early church, and I'm going to point it out in another point, they were having church every day. 
We can do it every day too. Or we can do it like we do it. The Lord says, just make sure you're having some church. And so at Tree of Life, we've set aside three services a week because of our schedules, because of how we live. And we're busy. Some of you had to work this morning before you even got here. Some of you do more work before you get to church than I do in a whole day. But yet you still try to be here. Some of you had worked hard Friday, but yet you were here for the VBS. I appreciate that. That's good. That's biblical. Let's not forget about this prayer, but... Number two, the second thing I see here that must be in a Bible church is preaching. Much can be said about teaching, and I love to teach. I like to teach more than I like to preach. I'm more of a teacher than a preacher. I'm not a very good preacher. Yes, I can holler and scream and run and do all that stuff. And I'm getting old now, and my knees hurt, so I don't as much of that but I'm really not a good preacher and I'm not trying to put myself down this is what God gave you and I do my best to do better but I do love to teach and the Bible says I'm to be apt to teach but there was preaching I got to spend a little time with brother John Ricketts he's a dear brother of mine and he took a fall a couple weeks ago and he's in the nursing home right now for a few weeks and I asked him Thursday when I went to visit him. He's 78. He's been pastoring some almost 50 years, I think. I said, Brother John, I always think of him as the Apostle John, you know. And so I says, can you tell me in your opinion, you can give me scripture if you want to, but in your opinion, what the difference between preaching and teaching is? Because I was working on this message and I wanted to know what old preacher John had to say about it. He said, I'll tell you the difference in it. Preaching needs the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Teaching is just you having assimilated a lot of information and you lay it out. Whereas the hearer might come to a conclusion and they might not. You're offering alternate views and perspectives. But preaching... The word reach is in preach. Makes the hearer reach a decision. And we find in the Word of God there's three decisions that an individual will make, one of three, when there's preaching. They'll either believe it and follow Jesus. They'll laugh and say, ah, it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of junk. Or they'll say, you know what? I'd like to hear you again. That's the three responses. God, because we're talking about God's perspective. What God says for us to do. God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 21, that He has chosen the foolishness of preaching. Preaching is foolish. I mean, have you ever just stopped to think? Really, stop to think, because I'm really trying to butter you up for one of the other points coming up. Have you ever stopped to think, why do children of God come to church to let a pastor preach to them, make them make decisions, and get in on all their business, 
and put input in their lives from the Word of God. And then you say, man, that was great. He stepped on my toes. And there's some things I need to maybe get fixed in my life. There's some things I need to start doing. And you do it week in and week out. Well, there's something supernatural about that. Number one, you're born again. And number two, you've got the Holy Spirit of God in you. And so the Holy Spirit of God conditions you. This is what you need. And preaching, as Paul told Timothy, is rebuking, reproving, and then exhorting. That's what preaching is. It brings the listener to a decision, is what it does. Joshua did a little preaching that day where he says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods that your fathers were serving on the other side of the flood are Jesus. As for me and my house, he gets on this side. We will serve the Lord. Now who's on my side? On God's side. That's preaching. That's the difference. You'll find today that a lot of people don't like preaching. I get criticized about preaching up from in here. Who are you to think that you would draw a line in the sand with the Word of God and saying, if you're not doing this, you're not right with God? Who are you to say that? Well, the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God has, 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 has spoken. And I want and I pray that the Holy Spirit speaks through me to minister to you. And that's what I tell people that visit. Just come and visit and see if the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you through me. Not that I'm anything, I'm just a tool. If He does, that's good. Then it could be that the Lord wants you to work with us. If He doesn't, don't feel bad. If you're truly born again, maybe this is not the part of the body of Christ that the Lord wants you in. Maybe it's another place. But if the Holy Spirit is ministering to you, now that's assuming that you're not backslid and that you're right with God. I know I've had a lot of people all the time like, well, I just, you know, I'm not getting fed. Really? Yeah. How many times you've read your Bible through this year? Well, I've never read it through. That could be part of the problem. Do you pray before you come to church? Uh, no. How many murders have you watched this week on TV before you come to church? That's a good question. You know, we're watching things that would have put our parents and grandparents in shock over to see. We're watching it like it's nobody's business while we're eating popcorn. People cold-bloodedly killing other people in an action movie. That does affect you. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And then you come in and say, I'm just not getting fed. Yeah. <laughs> preaching. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that preaching pleases God. Preaching is putting the spotlight on Jesus. Amen. That's what Peter was doing here. He was confronting them about what they had done with Jesus. He says, you crucified him. Even though you might have done it in ignorance, you sided with the people that knew what they were doing and you crucified the Messiah. And through the preaching, they come to a decision, many of them did, and said, what must we do? There's conviction. Preaching is uplifting Jesus and not man. 
And preaching, it is different than teaching. But I see the third fundamental here. There was partnering. I just had fun. I rarely do this. Everything starts with a P. There was a time years ago I hated messages like that. I think they call them illiterate, alliterated. They, they all start with the same. I'm not good at it. It just happened. I worked hard on this. It is in the text, so it was easy. There was a time, I, I, I didn't like that. But you know, now that I've got a little more age on me, I like it because it's easier to remember. <laughs> Partnering. Fellowship, verse 42. They assembled daily, verse 46, and they continuing. Now this is something they were doing every day. They were steadfast in it. They weren't going to change their mind on it. And then they practiced it. You know, the Bible commands us not to forsake the assembling. I believe COVID created a lot of problems and give people a lot of excuses not to assemble because they think assembling virtually is the same as assembling in person, and it's not. Some of my people that have been laid up and had to watch the live stream, and yes, I'm running the live stream on, on, a, on a shoestring budget, and yes, if somebody feels led to change that, say, preacher, we really need to, but then, then you jump on that, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> we do what we do through an iPhone 12. <laughs> say, I, I, it annoys me. I don't watch it. <laughs> I'm using a principle my old pappy used to use. <laughs> I'm using that principle in the prophet's chamber. Make it nice, but not too nice. Well, why? Because you don't want people to stay forever. Dad has that principle today at his house when the kids come to visit. The downstairs is fully livable and it's like a whole nother house. It's nice, but it's not too nice. <laughs> I don't want you all to take it the wrong way. It's always nice when I go there. He wants me to stay longer. But I use that principle. I'm using that same principle with the live stream. It's okay. It's kind of like powdered milk. You can live on it. <laughs> but it's like, ugh. I need to get into the house of God to get the real thing. Amen? <laughs> we need to not forsake the assembling. And, and some are traveling. We got some folks out traveling, vacation. Some partied too much. At least that's the story I got, and I'm preaching on it. And I'm getting ready to put it in the ground because I'm going to preach. I'm not just going to teach. Well, the Bible says, and we can see that, no, I'm going to preach on it. You need to be in the house of God. You know, they were all on the same page about this. There wasn't half the congregation that says, hey, we're going to do this. And the other half says, well, we're just impartial to that. The Bible really never clearly comes out and says that. <sighs> I want to pull my hair out when I hear that. I heard some of that this week on visitation. Lady says, I'm looking for a church. Amen. And I'm getting smarter. There was a time when I'd jump and said, well, we're old-fashioned. We're singing out of the hymn books. And I said, well, you just need to come and check us out. And, of course, she goes down 
the same line. She's probably watching live stream now. I'll make her mad. She'll never come. Don't have to worry about it. I don't remember your name. I meet a lot of people every week. But she says, I'm looking for a church that has a great music program. And she told me a couple churches she might have liked. I'm not going to say them because I'm not advertising for them. I believe they're wrapped up in the Baal worship and how they conduct their service. I didn't say anything. I just said, you just need to come and check us out, see if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. I did tell her, music is something we're working on. I like music. But just the simple fact, just getting here, partnering together, fellowshipping daily, not to forsake it. And why can we not get on the same page with this today? Why have we become so Biblically smart. What, are, what do we know that our fathers and grandfathers and their grandfathers for them that they didn't know? Nobody showed me that verse yet. This body of believers were steadfast and unmovable in this. Why has worldly philosophy spoiled us on this point? I remember, I think it was in the 80s, late 80s, 90s, when I first started hearing about it in a, uh, a church movement, were doing away with Sunday night services and Wednesday night services, and they were breaking up into small groups. And everybody just thought that was wonderful, have one big day. You know, there's some Bible-believing churches that just have one service a week. And they think that's awesome. I don't think that's awesome. I think that's backsliding. Let me, let me give you this by way of preaching. If there was a time in your life where you did not miss a service, remember, first got saved, all excited, you were growing in Christ, and now you're not, you're in a backslid state. That's the definition of backslide. You have slid back from a previous position. Now, if there was a, never a time in your life where you come to every time the doors were open and you've been born again and you're trying to grow in Christ, maybe you got something you need to grow into. But if you've been saved long enough and you used to be there every service and you're not now, you're in a backslid state. And I've made some of you mad. Some on live stream, man, too. That's called preaching. I'm not hollering and screaming. I'm simply presenting and having you reach a decision using a little good old common horse sense because he says here, daily. Now, one of my desires for this church is that the doors of the church be open every day where there's people coming and going, doing business, whether they're grabbing tracks off the track rack, going out and passing them out. They're coming in, they're cleaning the church, they're working around the church. But the doors are open every day with church activity and the people of the church coming in and out. That's what we have here. I don't find it another way. I believe we've been ruined by a worldly philosophy. 
Let me ask you this question by way of preaching this point and we'll move on. Does the Bible say anywhere to go to less church than our parents and our grandparents did? I would like to see that verse of Scripture. You know, I deal with a lot of people that believe a lot of weird things that they see on the internet and study. But yet, and, and, and what I'm saying is they got a wee little bit of evidence or a theory. And man, they'll put that thing together and boy, they'll buy into that. But they won't look at this example from the Word of God. And then the verse over there says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. He says, As we get closer to the coming of Jesus, get to more churches. What he's saying, that's what you're buying, that's the command. So why are we doing less? Well, I believe the devil's got in there and ruined people with a worldly philosophy. Now let me move on. Because I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just having you reach a decision on it. The preacher, I ain't changing my mind on it. That's okay. That's fine. My job's over. You'll have to work that out with God. But you will stand and give an account about that one day. And you'll have to finish living this life out either on the acceptable will of God blessings, the good will of God blessings, or the perfect will of God blessings. And you get to decide. Now that's preaching. That's not teaching. I'm drawing the line in the sand saying, who's on this side? He says, do more. Do more. Why are churches in America doing less? You know that church that give Brother Howard... That money, do you know the backstory to that? They closed down during COVID. And when COVID was over, they all decided we're not opening back up. We don't want to. And so they had to liquidate everything. And thank God somebody was there to say, now let's share it with the missionaries. That's something. We're not making more church. We're doing less. Then you see this parting. I ain't got to the fun part yet. It got quiet. You guys are quiet on me. See like I, why I like to teach? <laughs> Getting a little quiet. I know there's a couple people on the live stream when I see them, they say, you make me mad every Sunday. <laughs> I'm not trying to. I'm really doing what the Bible says. I want to provoke you to love and good works in Christ. Parting. Verse 45, that's that giving. We preached on that last week, so I won't stay long here. God is going to use your stuff for His purpose. When God saved you and called you out of the world, you need to take your stuff with you. Don't let Satan keep it. And you don't know yet what stuff of yours God wants to use. Preached a message last Thursday night, I believe it was up there at New Start Baptist Church on the devil wants your stuff, what the devil wants. And over there in Exodus 10, Pharaoh, the type of Satan, begins to negotiate with Moses. The men can go, but leave the kids here. Then when the plague of locusts come, he says, well, you men can go with the kids, but leave your stuff. 
And Moses had this to say. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not a hoof be left behind. For therefore, or for there, thereof, must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come hither. That's right. You don't know what stuff that you have that God wants to use for his ministry. The devil wants your stuff. God wants your stuff. He wants to use it for his glory. That's what's going on here. There was a giving church, a praying church, a preaching church, a partnering church. They were on the same page with this. They weren't divided. They were a partaking church. Is there biscuits and gravy up there behind me now? Switch that slide, boys. I've had enough of this rough stuff. I'm going to show you this right in the Scripture. Now, you can talk with me after the service whether I'm twisting it or not, but this is what the Holy Spirit gave to me. <laughs> Look with me in verse 42. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread. And I come down to verse 46. They continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness. I didn't even have to think about that. If we're talking about breaking bread, that's biscuits. You got to break them in too. And if you're going to eat meat and there's gladness involved, that's sausage gravy. <laughs> I fear I get some amens on that. <laughs> I mean, you all believe everything else you see on the internet. <laughs> it says biscuits and gravy. At least maybe that's what I needed by the time I got through the other two points. <laughs> Holy Spirit says, they teach you never end a message on a negative point. Oh, he's ended on a positive point. I see the wisdom in that. I don't want to leave you bleeding. I'd like to patch it up for you. Let you think about some biscuits and gravy. That's your, that's your partaking. That's fellowships. Now, we, love, we do love to eat around here. And maybe that's going to work to my detriment physically. But we're sure going to have fun until it does, right? And, and I don't have to eat like I eat sometimes. You know, I could, you know, practice some moderation. You know. But we do like to break bread. Amen. And that's one of the biblical principles. There's no better way to get to know somebody than over a meal. You can find commonality quick. But I see this last point. There was a praising church, verse 47. Praising God. You know, there's nothing wrong with a good testimony service. Really, there isn't. There is nothing wrong with opening the floor up and saying, anybody got a quick testimony? Sometimes the pastors will say, at the end of the service, is all hearts and minds clear? Does somebody have a word to say? You know, that, that's not wrong. That's not wrong. So why don't you do that a whole lot? 
<laughs> well, I do when it's, I know the group. Maybe it's that little faith again. But it's a praising church. It's to uplift Jesus and praise the Lord for the good He's done. Praising God in song. Good song. There is no substitute for a good song service. You could come in having a bad week and get in on a good church song service and it'll lift your spirits and you can enjoy the message a lot better. You know, sometimes, brothers and sisters in Christ, you might be thinking you've got a really bad week and come in and hear a testimony of another brother or sister in the service that's having a worse week than you. And you know what that does? That lets you go home saying, you know what? I'm not having it so bad. I will tell you, there are people that are having a worse time of it than you are. But if you forsake that assembling and you isolate, you'll never find that out. And you'll think that you're going through the worst of it when in all reality you're not even in a good scrap yet and there's other saints of God dealing with a whole lot worse problems and things than you are and see that's where that edification comes in that encouragement comes in and that's why the Lord says don't forsake it it's for your benefit it's not so that we can take up another offering I only take one up a week it's not about that it's about trying to encourage one another in Christ because, you know what? The devil's a real foe, and he's going to see to it that you have a bad week. And you're going to need your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to need the Lord. You're going to need that encouragement from the Holy Spirit of God. And you're going to need a little preaching down inside of you. That old preacher in the pulpit saying, hey, you can do it. Endure it. It's right. Let us major, if we're going to major on anything, let's major on these six things that we see in the Word of God that God has given us as an example for us to follow. This first church was a mighty church. I believe that here at Tree of Life, we want to be a mighty church in God's eyes, not in man's eyes, in God's eyes. We're going to have to major on these fundamentals. We're going to have to be a praying church, a preaching church, a partnering church, a partying church, a partaking church, and a praising church. And that takes everybody. Everybody needs to be steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord on those six principles. And God will add to our church. Let's all stand this morning.